Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dallas Christian College Leadership Podcast. Our weekly podcast focuses on current topics and events that are shaping our society, the world of education, and the local church. I'm your host, Scott Spees, the Director of Advancement here at DCC, and we're continuing in our series of podcasts highlighting the ministries of DCC alumni, which we have titled, Where Are They Now? And today's episode is a bit of a different spin on that title, because we're going to look at the historical events surrounding the beginning of Dallas Christian College on September 12, 1950. Helping us make sense of all these historical facts is the chair of DCC's Arts and Science Department and Professor of History, Dr. Mark Fish. Dr. Fish was a guest for last week's episode that focused on restoration movement history, and I would encourage you to check that out if you want to listen to it even before you continue on in this one. Uh, Dr. Fish, it's good to have you again. Thanks for being here. Uh, as, as mentioned earlier, uh, Dr. Fish has been on our staff since the year 2000 and has served in a variety of compa- capacities, uh, but right now he is, is the chair of our arts and science department and handles all of our history classes, and he also serves as the, the interim preacher at the DeSoto Christian Church, a title he's held for some 20 years. That's, that's a long interim period there, Mark Fish. <laughs> but helping to facilitate today's discussion, as always, is the voice of the DCC Leadership Podcast, Mr. Mark Worley. So, Mark, I'm going to turn it over to you, and we'll continue in our discussion about uh, restoration movement history and the history of Dallas Christian College. Yeah, thanks, Scott. Uh, I, I've... I've uh only worked at DCC for about 40 years. So, you know, I'm not uh, uh, sure that we uh, know all of the beginning history before that. I've only lived uh, for a few years uh, here. So uh, I'm really looking forward to this because uh, you've already shared with me some really beautiful things about the beginning of Dallas Christian College. Uh, I it's kind of interesting. I spent some time with the founder. It was uh, Vernon Newland, and uh, man, I I didn't know much about him at all. I was basically voluntold, you know, that I had to come and and do some work for this guy, and I just kind of thought he was uh, kind of an out there kind of guy, a, a visionary to the max. And I can remember him standing in a field right here, almost probably right where we're st- where we're sitting in this building, and. Uh, he was like, I see it now. I see a building over there and I see it and I see men and women coming. And I was like, I, all I see is, uh, mesquite trees and thorns. That's what I see. But he was a really interesting guy and I've learned much more about him. Uh, he died in a plane crash up in the Kaimishi mountains. And I was there as a, Mm. I think I was like in junior high school or high school, uh, there, but, uh, what, what an incredible guy. Uh, and a history of Dallas Christian College. So that's what we're going to talk about. Man, I look forward to this. So uh, DCC's story doesn't really start September the 12th, 1950. Where does it start? Wow. Well, we can go back quite a ways. First of all, he is a missionary, and of course he had to leave and get to the Philippines because of communism things in China. So he's in the Philippines. The Japanese will put him in internment camp with his family, and... I hope everyone studies more and reads more about it because we could spend the entire time yes. about what happened yes. there. He went through extraordinary circumstances and based upon perhaps prayer and God, 
within days before they were going to annihilate the entire camp, our Marines go in and, and well, actually Army goes in and saves him and the rest of them there. He comes back to America and he's surprised at what he finds. In America, it is a very changed culture and he doesn't like what he sees. You know, I thought it was interesting. Uh, uh, folks listening would probably remember MacArthur's very famous, you know, I, I, will, I shall return. And, uh, man, there was a battle there between MacArthur and the president for him to return. And he just happens to do that. Right. And he had limited resources. Yeah. There were a lot of folks wanting his military to attack in certain places. But one group said, we know there is an old building here, a hospital full of uh, Americans, British, and others, including missionaries. We have a choice. And through prayer, he chose that one, and he chose it just in time to save these guys, or Vernon Newland and the family would not have survived. Yeah, I love the story, you know, because Vernon Newland was talking about, well, actually we had his son here, uh, Melvin Newland, and, and I, I think it's the only standing ovation that I've, I've seen in chapel. I mean, wow. they just immediately stood to their feet. It was so powerful. And, you know, he, he was saying that his, his dad was celebrating, you know, that, he, that they were freed, and he ran around this building, and there on the ground were the, the soldiers who had died to free him. And, yes. he, and he just, it sobered him so dramatically. And then he thought of Christ who made that sacrifice for him, and he really vowed uh, to raise up um, workers for the harvest field. As sure a result. Did. Yeah. And he did. In fact, uh, one of the men that was at my congregation that passed on finally, president of three of our colleges, was Fred Davis. Dr. Davis was a soldier in that war against Japan, and he was so angry coming back, as many were, and he ran into Vernon Newland, and Vernon said, they don't know Jesus. Well, that rode on Fred's mind for a long time. So he went over and had his family over there. He started three churches and taught at one of our sister schools, Osaka Christian College, all again because Vernon Newland influenced his life and Vernon came over here and started not only five colleges that we know of, but some don't realize one of the schools down in San Antonio had closed, Southwestern. Yeah. He was Southern. instrumental or Southern. Southern. Yeah. He really he got it going again. And so while he founded five on his own, he re-upped another one. This guy was truly, as you said, he wasn't just a dreamer with unfocused dreams. He was a visionary. He could close his eyes and see what he wanted to see happen. Yeah, in fact, uh, uh, the Southern Christian College, it means a lot to me because my father graduated from there. Did he? Yeah. Okay. So, and he was a part of the merger that, that uh, he came up to. That's how we wound up at Dallas because uh, he, he was... Uh, Southern was closing, and so he wanted to to be a part of Dallas Christian College. Wow. So there you go. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's so many schools have opened and closed, but historically in Texas, that's okay because each formed a purpose while they were here and for the yeah. time that they were here, including Cleo Biblico. We've had them in El Paso, Texarkana. We've had schools, and sometimes they've passed through their their need zone. Dallas Christian College was started when he saw the liberalism had taken over. People's evangelism fire was gone. Small churches were dying because we weren't producing preachers. And he said, I need to get closed churches open, and I need to get new preachers out here. And he just had a heart and vision for it. 
Yeah, I, I know that, uh, man, it's like, hey, if you were a student here, you were expected to go and serve. You know, that, that was just, and man, it was a whole new world for me coming to DCC. I mean, I was just voluntold, as I mentioned before, by my father, and it was definitely not a willing service, you know. But, uh, yeah, being around his son, Melvin Newland, he, again, just epitomized service. What a genuine man. And, and you said it, it's not just the students who still do service here. Yes. But historically from day one, the faculty and staff, the president was in a camp somewhere. He was uh, serving. They were at churches. Everybody got out and did things. And it, it was mentioned that I, I used to direct quiz. I taught 14 classes my first year that I was a full-time director here. I was working on my doctorate degree and teaching, preaching. But that would be normal for the staff yeah. around here is everybody does what they teach. Yeah, and still do. And still, and still do. do, and I think that's crucial to who we really are. Yeah. So, so why Dallas Christian College? I mean, Vernon Newland, what Dow, the city, or uh, what? What caused him to plant here? Well, he was already planning in Oklahoma City, and he was just—he he knew this area. He did St. Louis, he did Memphis. He, he was working this area, and Dallas just needed it because. As historically, people were moving into the cities, out of the rural, and so there was a movement to say little churches aren't needed, small towns aren't needed, don't waste preachers there, put them in the big churches and conglomerate. And he said, no, small towns still need preachers and teachers. So his vision was to reopen up to 100 or start or reopen 100 churches in Texas. And they were opening one in the first years. Every 70 days, they reopened a closed church by supplying the preachers that, that was needed there. And he said, we've got to get back to the Bible and we've got to care about lost souls. He really believed in evangelism. So desperately he cared for people. Yeah, but <clears throat> I mean, you have uh, TCU, Texas Christian uh, university, you have SMU, you have other schools, uh, religiously founded schools. Why Why another one? Well, because TCU actually did get mad at Dallas Christian College and wrote up a big article because they said, you're taking away our students. Why are you doing this? Because DCC was growing really rapidly at the very beginning, especially. It was up into the, well, if you count night students, they started night classes and summer classes. They had over 100 students within the first five, six years. Mm. And so TCU was like, you're threatening us because TCU said, we don't need these little churches. And basically Vernon said, yes, we do. And you're not as interested in evangelism as you used to be. And we're not even sure that you're as interested in the New Testament as we think you should. Because historically, one of our best things is when we see that we're doing something wrong, we test it against the touchstone of the New Testament. And sometimes we call ourselves wrong and we change ourselves. And Vernon and others said, you're not doing it well. So he combines with Bob Cox. That's crucial. Bob was one of those revival evangelists because a lot of the areas would hire an evangelist. They saw the preacher and the evangelist as two different critters. They used Ephesians for this, and they said, yeah, we're going to hire an evangelist. You're going to go out and start churches every six months or a year. Bob Cox started one in Cole Park, 
area neighborhood of Dallas, North Dallas at the time, below Interstate 635 at this point. But he started that church and the college met there for seven years. And Bob Cox was an evangelist that kept starting churches his whole existence, including where I preach. Bob Cox was a part of starting that in 1950, mm-hmm. back then as well. So yeah, so, so those two worked together to supply what they saw as a crucial need in an America that has lost its way. Well, that's so crazy. You had mentioned Bob Cox because that's a blast from the past, you know, because I knew him well, his sons. uh, Yeah, absolutely. He was a go-getter, a fiery guy for sure. Uh, Really interesting that you had mentioned him because I only knew him really as a kid, you know, but I just thought he's, he was a, almost like a Dr. Halen, you know, he's a, kind of a, a shorter guy, red hair and fiery man, just just uh, incredibly passionate about starting new churches. Wasn't he, though? And, and, and Vernon was, too. So the two together really attracted a lot of people. And, and we did a cliffhanger last week, so we ought to kind of pull that in. Uh, amongst the first graduates in 1953, two people walked the stage. Um I used to preach at Haltom City Christian Church over in the Fort Worth area. Paul Manning became a preacher there at one point. Yeah, yeah. Paul Manning was one of the first, and most people told me he was the first graduate. I thought that for a while until I talked the to you. The truth is, if you look alphabetically, which we typically graduate you by last name first, we uh, there was someone that graduated before him, a lady named Ida May Goins out of Oklahoma. She was a full-blood Choctaw Native American. And Ida May had been to Lincoln, but she saw wisdom in coming to DCC, I'm sure. She transferred down here, graduated from here, and went back to Oklahoma. And some of the folks from the Kaimishis knew her. She lived up there, married, and and some of them talked with her. I'm wanting to get an interview with one of my elders at the church who talked with her extensively. Well, I just think that that's incredible because uh, I think that's a, a... a foreshadowing of what would happen here at DCC in ethnic diversity. Uh, because, I mean, I, I, I don't know what it is this year, but last year we had 17% uh, Hispanic, uh, 25% African American, and 42% uh, Caucasian. I just Amen. thought, yeah, I mean, the diversity that's here is is really exciting. Hands down, we're the most diverse of our schools. Yeah. Hands down. Well, I, I read a I read an article that was like ten uh, percent. Uh, we're in the top ten percent of colleges all across the United States for ethnic diversity. Yeah, is that something that Vernon Newland was interested in? Obviously, you know, one of the uh, the first classes is fifty percent <laughs> female and fifty percent uh, Native American. So, uh, was that something that? that he was interested in. I think he was, and here's why we know this. Um, There were no African-American students until 1954, the request came in, hey, we'd like to be there too. And this is in a time before the civil rights movement. Things were difficult, and he doesn't shut that down. He said, we're interested in doing this. We'd like to respond to these guys. How do you feel? He sent out a letter to every supporter and church in 
Texas. So by 1955, we know that Dallas Christian College had planned on, I haven't worked all through the details, but I know they had four students that were enrolling in an extension class who were African-American students for Dallas Christian College by 1955. And that's well before most public universities in Texas were willing to integrate. He was just an interesting guy, really interesting. Now, are there any uh, other... uh, early presidents of DCC that stand out in in your mind? Wow. Yeah, uh, (laughs) because everyone that came here was sacrificial, first of all. I'm not saying they aren't still now, but I mean, they came on like literally a shoestring of prayer. It was like you could read the notes. They have enough money to pay me for the next two weeks. (laughs) You're going to trust on God. So, Thomas Seagroves comes. He comes from Lincoln. Uh, we get William Nash is here for a short time from Kentucky Christian. There were people who filled in sometimes for a few months, sometimes for a summer. Well, Mark, you you filled in at least a couple, two or two and a half times yep. yourself. Yep. Yep. Yeah, people saying, I will step Daunting. in, whatever I have to do to step in. But it was so sacrificial. Again, these guys would go to Kansas as a president and spend a week fighting mosquitoes, mm-hmm. hoping to encourage young people because in the early years of the restoration movement, Mildred Wilshmer Phillips started the Christian camp movement for us. And it was not for every kid. It was for your top two kids from your, your church. So there were leadership conference things. Well, Thayer, Kansas, where my kids are at a camp up there, they run, uh, they would do, it was recorded here, the president went up to the leadership camp. So it was like, you get to send only your top two kids, and they're going to be leaders or else. And I thought, this is so amazing that these guys sacrificed to that level, but each one brought their strengths. The longer our president stayed, usually the better the influence, because you didn't have to get transitioned to a new guy's mission. So historically, I believe DCC might have been more like a 1,000 students, but too much turnover, it helps when we can hang on to these presidents and we can keep that one vision pushing us forward. Historically, that's great because Vernon Newland comes back, as you, you would yes, well know, yes. and he helps the school again. His wife's health makes him kind of pull back out for a while, but his vision, it, the school was sinking a little, it brought it back up again. Vernon's got vision. Yeah, I, I know that... Uh, this year, I mean, we're, we're talking about history, but I think history is made this year, uh, this fall, because we have the highest incoming new student uh, group in, in our history. Which is I can't amazing. find a place to park. That's what tells you. <laughs> if you come in after 9 o'clock on Tuesday, Thursday, you're in the last spot if you're on campus. Yeah. Wonderful problem. Yes. Wonderful problem. By the way, I, I thought I'd note real quickly, the girls' dorm was a house, and they built it in 1952, and they opened with nine girls. By the way, they only had one bathroom, even when they got up to 16 girls. I don't know what that looked like, but I'm just saying one of the th- reasons they moved in 57 to the, to the church building, the, the city of Dallas had rezoned, and the church could not stay in that building anymore so they needed more space yay yeah and i'll tell you what the college was in a really rough uh neighborhood back in those days i I'm a, i can attest to that uh really uh pretty violent area and i know the ladies were really concerned uh that coal park area that you're talking about was really a difficult place and uh 
So, so in 1968, uh, the college moved to this current campus because there's a, there's a history of that as well. Uh, can you tell a little, little bit about that? Well, the marvelous thing is there was a gentleman who was not related to the Christian church per se, but he's a Christian man. Episcopalian, I believe, and he donates like 22 acres. Also, there's a little park over here beside, and it's named after him too, but he he just donates this at the time the school needed it and said, you know, let's use this for the Lord. And they tell me that the road over here, Ford Road, wasn't even paved yet. No, no, it wasn't. I was was a student during those days. And uh, yeah, prior to us coming on this campus, it was a goat farm. And I'm telling you, uh, again, uh, nothing was here. Mm. Nothing except uh, goats and uh, mesquite trees that have a lot of thorns, I know, because I was (laughs) voluntold to come and help clear those trees. And my brother was involved in helping build a building, which is probably either why it's lasted so long or it's been struggling (laughs) either way. (laughs) So, yeah, uh, Wallace Worley was... uh, integral part of uh, DCC, I think, from about 62, 1962 on. So uh, pretty interesting times. Uh, First man then. I ever met from DCC was Wallace Worley. And he was, of course, at all the book sales and stores and such a an advocate and ambassador for the school. But I, I'll tell you how I got really recruited to Texas was a DCC graduate, happened to be at Emanuel School of Religion. And he said, you really ought to think about, oh no. And his dad called me up and said, I hear you're tired. Your wife is of the cold weather in Tennessee. Come to Texas where it's warm. So sure enough, came to Texas and the people were warm, fell in love. And we had regents in those days for DCC. And I got to come over and hear what was going on, capture the vision. Shepard was president. And he said, we need to start night classes. Little did I know that I would end up coming back here. And I didn't apply here. It was, again, a God thing. John Derry was president. And I drove by. My wife had applied to be uh, sort of a secretary position. And the guy didn't show up to interview her. And so, a guy named Dr. Hickox. So another guy said, come on downstairs, talk to our president. I didn't know John was here. He said, Mark. I knew him from Milligan. And he said, hey, I need a secretary. He hired Sheila on the spot, my wife. And he said, would you direct our ministering leadership program? I said, can I pray about that? So I spent that (laughs) night praying. It hadn't rained for 40 days or 40 nights. It rained that night. So I accepted the next day. And I've now been here, well, 21, 20, 21 years now, yeah, I guess. Yeah. So time flies, but it's when God, God is in control of the school. We've never had a ton of money, but you know, God runs this. In the old days, churches supported this school according to the budget. Yeah. 75% was from churches. Yeah. Now it's 85%, I think, from students. We still need churches and individuals who see the value because this school exists because $1 a month club. That was how Vernon did it. He asked people, will you give us $1 a month? Mm. And that made the school happen. Yeah. Awesome. Pretty amazing. <clears throat> Pretty amazing. And uh, I, we, we have, I can't remember if it was you, Mark, or, or uh, uh, Dr. Halen, who's done a, a lot of background study, uh, that, that shared a quote that uh, Vernon Newland had, that if you're going to do anything for God, do it now now is the time so pretty powerful yeah and and you're going to hear more about our now campaign that is uh kicking off this fall uh obviously with 
the, the growth that we talked about. Uh, there is a huge need to help our students financially so they don't uh, have a, a, a lot of debt as they uh, graduate and, and move into ministry. And then there's a huge need facility-wise, <laughs> just as Dr. Fish was was talking. There's no place to park. We're running out of dorm space. Uh, we're, we're moving chapel from our chapel into our gym because that's the only room that's large enough for us to meet together. Yes. So a lot of great challenges, and we're looking forward to what God's going to do to help us address those in the uh, the coming months and years. So, uh, Dr. Fish, thank you for sharing. I encourage you, as mentioned before, if you want to learn more about the restoration movement history uh, that, that Dr. Fish talked about, that's in the, the episode uh, prior to this one, the one last week. You can check that out. Uh, if you are a DCC alum or a, a friend of the college, we want to invite you to our in-person homecoming event that's taking place on Friday, October the 15th. And then we have an on-campus event on uh, Saturday, October the 16th. You can find out more about those at our website, www.dallas.edu. But Dallas Christian College is committed to, committed to changing the world for Christ one student at a time with an education that is accessible, affordable, and attainable. And we are uh, appreciative of you for... Oh, and Mark's... Yeah, I want to yeah. say something here. Yeah, I just when you were talking about homecoming... Uh, uh, Dr. Fish, we're going to honor a couple of the sons of one of our previous presidents, Harold correct. Platt. And uh, uh, Paul and Dare Platt mm-hmm. are going to be honored at our at our upcoming homecoming. Yeah, that'll be the Friday night event. And so yeah. that's that's something you won't want to you won't want to miss. I think it's going to be a great evening. And we were hoping to celebrate 70 years last year. The covid uh, coronavirus uh, pandemic interrupted that, but we're doing it now in our 71st year, and we'd love for you to join us. But thank you again for uh, taking time out of your day to listen to this episode of the Dallas Christian College Leadership Podcast. Uh, we pray that you have a great day. Stay safe, take care, and we'll catch you next time. <laughs>